for so many years, I felt so lonely and so misunderstood what people would think if I only tell them that I wanted to die. If people can hear that other people from their circle are struggling with it, it will be easier for them to reach out for help or speak up about it. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do, well, we're not very good at it. And that includes me. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with survivors. I'm going to keep trying, and I want to thank all the survivors who have joined me here since we launched now more than two years ago. July of 2020, and of course, to everybody who listens, thank you. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, there's a few ways you can reach out. Email, hello at suicidenoted.com. Social media, at suicidenoted. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also leave us a recorded message. Check the show notes for that link. In the show notes, you will also find a few more links. A couple of them are for financial contributions, one time or ongoing. We could use the help as we try to reach more people and help them feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. And a couple of links to storytelling shows. One is specifically around suicide and the other is mental health. So that might be something you want to check out. Keep in mind, uh, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests. So take that into account before or as you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Eva. Eva lives in California and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Eva in California. Yes. She's wearing sunglasses. She's in a park under a tree. I'll let the audience guess what country you might be from because you might you might hear a little accent. Not big, a little slight. It's there. We're here to talk about you. So you are a let's just jump right in. You're a suicide attempt survivor. Yes. Yes, I am. Actually, a few attempts survivor. Wait, by the way, I should have said this. Thank you for being here. Sometimes <laughs> I get so excited to talk about suicide. I forget to thank people. And I want people to hear that I'm thanking you also. All right, Eva, in California, let's start with your first attempt. My first time was when I was 16. And I was in high school going through really hard time. I lived in, um, I would say, a dysfunction family. My father was an alcoholic. My mom was um, never emotionally present because she was dealing with him. And, you know, she was just doing her life. And I had a lot of problems at school getting into alcohol and drugs myself. I felt very lonely, super lonely. And I think I was already dealing with, from what I remember, I think I was already dealing with uh, eating disorder as well. I think my eating disorder started when I was 14. It was a lot. My dad was an abusive. He would beat me and my brother. And I think I was already dealing with depression. I just didn't know about it. Nobody knew about it. 
back in my country, depression was not really a thing, or maybe it's not even in my country as in my family. I attempted suicide then. I tried to, you know, I cut myself. You're back in your country, and we haven't told people what that country is yet, by the way. Yeah. Uh, let's, leave, let's leave that as a surprise to the end. Difficult childhood and, and, and teenage years for, a, for a, a long list of reasons that you shared, some of them. Right. How old are you when you first attempt to take your life? I think it was 16, 16, 17. I was in high school. I think I was yeah. in my second year of high school. As you can hear uh, and see, it was unsuccessful. But that kind of started a process of cutting myself. I used, I, I, for many years, I would cut myself. That was, that was the beginning. Yeah. Every single person, by the way, I've talked to for this podcast was not successful. Right. <laughs> Every single one, without one exception. <laughs> did yeah. you want to die? And this might be tricky the way I'm framing it. Or did you simply not want to be in pain? Being honest with you, I think I, I wanted to die. I was in pain. I was in mental pain. I felt very, very lonely. I think I wanted to die, but I remember the moment when I did it and it, it came with a lot of pain, mm -hmm. physical pain. I got scared. Did you go to a hospital? I didn't go to a hospital then. Did you tell anybody about that first attempt or just at the first attempt? No, nobody knew about it. No, not one human being knew about it. Nobody knew about it. I was scared. I didn't want to be judged. I didn't no. want to get in trouble. Right. I knew that pro I will probably get in trouble right. for doing it. And, you know, I was already what my parents called me, you know, a, a black sheep or, or a troublemaker or whatever. You know, I was already getting in a lot of shit. From what you shared a little bit about your family, right. It, it sounds like it just would have created more problems. Right. And my family, I was raised Catholic. Um, my family is really religious, really religious. My mom and dad, you know, it was all about God and Jesus and, and you're going to go to hell and stuff like that. So, you know, attempting a suicide. You are, uh, I'm not saying this, but there would be people out there, some of them of the cloth that would say, you're going to hell. Exactly. You're going to burn in hell, you know, and oh, yeah. not even go to hell, burn in hell, burn in hell. From your understanding of Catholicism, because that is the faith that you were brought up under, is there anything to do in hell other than burn? Yeah, I think like, it's, the, you know, you, you suffer there. They but, always tell you that you're in this, this, this forever, infinite Yeah, suffering. but if you're in hell and hell is this big fireball, that's the, you, all you're doing is burning. Right. You're not, you're not going for walks. <laughs> you're not playing baseball. You're burning. That what You're are the burning. options other than burning in hell? One burning, two burning, three burning. Maybe there are like stages, like maybe there's a little burning, you know, maybe yeah. there's like many like a bigger fire, you know, like the yeah. the small fire that you sort of hot, you know, and then the like is sweating and then there's like a big fire. Right. That sort of burn, like, I don't know. And each one lasts they, like a long time because you're there forever, literally. So there, you can't even put a time on it because it's forever. You can't divide right. forever by anything. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to go there. Yeah, me neither. That's why I'm here, I guess. I, I tend to believe that, you know, and I'm not much of into faith. Uh, I kind of think that, you know, you, you can be in hell here. 
Yeah, I think so. I don't believe, I do not, I'm not religious. You know, there's right now, there's this cliche saying, you know, I'm not religious, but spiritual. You know, I feel that we can create our own hell here on earth, or we can create our own heaven on earth, you know? Uh, Let's not get carried away. (laughs) Do you think that, you could do whatever you want. If you're in heaven, and by the way, (laughs) the listeners won't see this, but uh, from what I see in my little kitchen in North Carolina, but she's got a tree over her and there's a little wind and there's a, tr- and the sky is big and there's some sun. You're like, all right, if I was going to start heaven on earth, I might start where Eva is. Yeah. It's very nice, nice and pleasant. Ooh, the wind is breeze is going. Yeah. It's drier there than here. Here it's so humid. I don't like it. All right. So your life goes on as a teenager, but you start cutting. So we could say you're alive. But does anything really get better other than you're just getting older? No, it's all the same thing. It's just actually getting worse. My eating disorder is like off the charts. I was never diagnosed with it, but you don't have to. I was, you know, pu- I was making myself vomit every time I ate. I would, you know, I would go days without eating. So my, my mental health was really in not a great place. I was going drunk to school. I would be drinking at like 8 a.m. going to school. That's a weird, maybe this is a weird question, but why were you drinking? You know, like, as they say, you're in this environment. My dad was an alcoholic. I was raised, like, alcohol was always present in my life. I had very easy access to alcohol because it was always in the house. It was not closed or nothing like, you know, the bar was, my dad's bar was never closed or or locked. And then, you know, I felt like it was also because, like I said, I felt so lonely, not understood. When I start drinking first, I realized how happy it makes me. All of this this stuff is just going away, you know, and people would tell me always like, Eva, you're just unrecognizable when mm. you drink. You're like, mm. you are a totally different person. And I like, I like that. I like being that Eva. I like being that drunk, happy, you know, joking. It's tricky because... One of the reasons a lot of people drink is for that reason. There's obviously some a dark side to it, but I get it. I get why you would want to do that. Totally. Right. Yeah. So that's where, where my life kind of went, you know, that route. And that's where actually we can, we can now get to the second time I, you know, I almost did it. That was not even like intentional. One time when I was cutting myself, I was so desperate, I guess, you know, in a really bad place. I cut myself so bad that I just couldn't stop it. I, you know, I had to go to a hospital. Like before, when I was cutting mm-hmm. myself, they were always just just mm-hmm. cuts, you know, small cuts that they would sort of disappear within a week or so. And this one time I just cut myself. It was deep. It was very deep and I couldn't stop it. And I ended up in a hospital, got um, stitches. Because it was so bad, I had to have Band-Aids on my wrists. My teacher saw it at school. And she came, she approached me, and she's like, is this what I think it is? 
so that kind of, you know, took the a, a snowball effect. She asked me if my parents know. I said, no. She's like, well, I need to tell, I need to tell your parents. I can't, I'm your teacher. Like, you know, I'm the adult here. I cannot keep that secret from your parents. She did tell my parents then. So the first one and the second one weren't too far away from each other in terms of time. Yeah, there was probably a year to two years apart, year and a half. First one, nobody knows. Second one, same method. This time you go to a hospital, at least for the physical stuff, and then your parents find out. Do you have to go to another kind of hospital after that? No. The fun part is I had it, my, my, my teacher said, tomorrow I'm going to meet with your parents and we're going to talk about you. So I knew exactly when they're going to see each other and that my parents are going to know about it. I was just waiting. You know, that was the day when I was just waiting in my room, knowing that my parents now are listening and listening to the fact that I was, you know, trying to um, kill myself. And um, I heard my parents coming home. You know, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm scared to death. Like I was so scared. My mom came to the room and she just sort of looked at me. She slapped me in the face and she said, you better, you better go on your knees and pray for your sins. And that was the, the last time uh, first and the last time we spoke about that uh, mm. or with my parents at all. And the school got into, so my parents wouldn't do it if it was just them. But I, I think the school got into the whole situation through the school. They sent me through like a therapy, you know, okay. so I just I would just go to a therapy once a week for I think I think six months or something like that. Didn't help. Um, didn't help. I know in the in Catholicism, it is a sin to attempt suicide. And if you yeah. sin the way you did, your mother in this case, and I, and I assume your father, too, wanted you to, quote, get on your knees and pray for okay. my sins. Yeah. Just a quick question here. I'm just it just popped in my head. I don't mean to be rude or offend. Is it OK to drink in the Catholic Church? No, it isn't. Is it OK to hit your child in the Catholic Church? Right. right. I'm just asking a question. So I'm wondering. Did your parents model that kind of behavior that when they sin, they get on their knees and pray and then are asking you to do that? Or was that a little hypocrisy? Yeah, that's actually a, a good question, because once a month, my dad, he would go to his room, he would close the door, he would go on his knees and he would pray and okay. cry. Oh, and so he was doing it. All he right. was doing it. Not promising. I think he was praying for, you know, God to take that burden of the alcohol from him or whatever, you know. Got it. If I remember correctly from our last conversation, you had a third attempt, but that was many years later, right? Yeah, I had one attempt in college. You know, I felt like my brain was on just the, the, the thought of just ending with my life and being miserable and always being in the dark. Um, never being able to connect with people only when I was drunk or on yeah. drugs. That sort of my default mode of my brain was like, I just fucking want to die. Like, please just, this is just painful. I, I didn't even have control of it, uh, control over it. And I don't think I even worked. I worked to change it. It was just my life. That's every day I, I would do and go and, you know, do my things and go with yeah. my everyday life. Right. I don't think people who, generally speaking here, 
haven't been in the space where they're like default is I want to die every day. You know how like when you hear something, I mean, we tend to inevitably imagine what it must be like. I think most people do that and they, but they can't have a clue. They don't have a clue of what it's like and they can't what that's like to want to die every day. That is so heavy. I think. I think so too. And it just gets so tiring. Yeah. It's just the fun, the, 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 the part that you just, you get up and you're like, fuck, I didn't die. Oh, can I just go to bed and die? Like, like when I cut myself, it was painful. After I, the cutting sort of went away on its own, I guess, because I, I started drinking more. I was a wreck. I would drink and be on drugs. I would all the time. So I think the cutting need went away. You were drinking. What's your beverage of choice? Vodka. She's not Russian, by the way. I know you thought that everyone. She's not. And, and beer. beer. Vodka and yeah. beer. Yeah. And then what was your drug of choice? I would do cocaine. Uh, I would do amphetamine. A lots and lots of weed. All right. Three attempts through college or some of college. You're in your home country. People are getting tired now. They're like, just say the fucking <laughs> No, no, I'm not. I get to decide. It's my fucking show. Exactly. And, <laughs> so you're a young lady, to put it mildly, not okay, not happy. You'd said earlier that you were sort of really, really, really lonely. And then when you would do alcohol and drugs, it would help with that. So as you're getting older and you're in college, you're starting to make friendships or intimate relationships, you're sort of getting that kind of connection. Is that, is that there for you? Yeah, it is. But it's very problematic always. I always sabotage something. I always do something or get into relationships that are not really good ones. Right. Do you finish college? Yes, I fin- I finished college actually with some problems. <laughs> I almost didn't finish it. But then uh, there's, there's an adult, my ex-boyfriend mom, who steps in. She sees, you know, my my problems, my pain, my everything. And just an, an amazing soul. Maybe, you know, I've always, I've always through my life because I feel like I didn't have a mom mm. or I didn't have a mom the way a mom should be. I've always searched for some sort of uh, mom persona in my life. I make friends with older women often. Like they are my, like, I love having these older women in my life as like guides. Aren't they the best? <laughs> They are. Are you like that for a young lady? I am trying to be like that for my own kids. I am trying to be like that in my own community. Nice. So you finish high school in your or college. You're in probably what in your early twenties. Twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah. Still in your country. When did you? How old were you when you came to the United States? I was close to twenty seven. I finished the college and I came back to my parents' house uh, looking for a job, you know, and, and trying to sort of find my way, you know, as an, as an adult after college uh, with a degree. No jobs in this former Soviet satellite country. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. It was challenging. Um, now I, I'm back living with my parents. Again, we fight a lot. Uh, I'm 26, but I can't go out or I have right. to, you know, I come back at 11 and then the next day it's a big deal that I came back late. I realize I need to get out. Like, this is not a place I want to be. And I started looking for jobs outside of my country. It was the time and it was 2008. 
it was the time when a lot of people would go to different countries to work. Um, so I was like, well, why not? Why not me? I found an au pair program. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're the live-in nanny that you live with a, with a family in their house and you take care of their children. I found a job like that here in the United States. And within one year, I was here in California, in Oakland. It was 2008. What year was your last suicide attempt, your fourth one? So that was when I was married. One of my kids, uh, the younger, was born in 2012. So okay. that was probably 2013. And is that the last one or was there another one? That was the last attempt I mm -hmm. had. Uh, however, I was uh, hospitalized several years ago because I turned myself in. Mm -hmm. You're an au pair. You meet a guy. You eventually get married. Correct. At the end of 2009, I got married. Did you think this is the guy? Yes. Now when you're asking me after all these years, it's sure. like, I want to think about it. You know, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. ah, you know, right. was it really, did I really think it was that guy, you know? American guy from California? He's he okay. an American. He's in the in Air Force. We start dating. Right. Start dating, get married, eventually have two children. Yes. It went sideways quite fast. The mistake I think I made was to get married too fast bef before we sort of lived together and got to know each other. There was a lot of red flags already popping out, but that was just too late. I moved in with him right from the start. He sort of like isolated me from everybody. I had no money because he had, he took like over, you know, everything. I had no access to bank accounts. I had no access to anything. Grocery shopping was always done together. Like if I wanted something, he would be like, well, I will take you. We will go. Like we mm -hmm. will do everything. You know, it was always like, if you want something, ask me, I'll get it to you. And so and people should know that you are in a sort of unique situation, not completely unique, but it's less common than for others because you're not from here. Right. When I leave the au pair program, you become pretty much an illegal. The au pair program gives you a certain visa type. Mm -hmm. And then when you get out of it, you, you don't have that anymore. So now I rely on my husband to and, mm -hmm. apply for the visa for me. And he knows this. And he knows this. But he, he, he knows what he can probably get away with. Right. So all the while, you end up having two children. And it, this goes on, this kind of, I mean, do we want to call it abuse? Yeah? Yes. This kind of abuse goes on for years, yes? Yes. He would sexually abuse me financially. He had anger management problems. He, I would, he would never hit me, but there were moments when he would just pin me to the wall or bed or yell at me because okay. I didn't want to talk to him, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, right, man. And although, and you have two children, little children. Yeah. All right. So you've got the two kids, you've got a guy who's not treating you well, and you don't really have, you don't have options really. You don't like, there's not a lot you can do. If you do this, there's a problem. If you do that, there's a problem. Right. I couldn't just pack and leave uh, because I had two children. If I did that, then he could file for like kidnapping or whatever. You know, I never went to the police for an abuse. I never really do did that because 
I was always scared because now, now I'm illegal. So why would I go to the police? I was very uneducated and scared. Can you clarify for people, though? I think there might be people, including me, that would think if you're married, you're married and you, you could go to the police, you're safe. Because and at least with respect to your citizenship. Right. And I think that's the truth. I think I could go and file for an abuse or whatever, and they wouldn't they wouldn't ask me for my immigration status. If you're married, you you're 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 okay. No, I thought that was just the law. If you're married, you are I don't know what the word is, but you're legal. No, no. If you're married, the person who is the citizen needs to file okay. for the other person okay. adjustment of status or whatever it's it's a whole process all right it's, it's not all right no that's good to know it's not automatic no it's not you get married in 2009 you attempt in 2013 you have one child at the time the second one isn't born yet no it was, i already had two. Oh, okay so you have the two so you have two of them within the first few years 2013 what what was happening around that time that you finally were like, fuck this. You know, he sort of isolated me from everybody. I also isolated myself from my my whole family, everybody. Like, I didn't want to talk. For several years, my parents and my family didn't even know that I don't have, I'm not legal. I was lying to them. I felt ashamed for what I've done and where I ended up. I literally wished I, 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 I would die. Like, I... I felt so ashamed. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't see my future. Like every time, you know, when people tell or ask you, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I saw fucking darkness. That was like, I just lived day by day. I thought about suicide almost every day. But when the kids came, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. When you would think about suicide, how specific was it? Was it a general thinking about not being here or would you think about the method and some other things? I would visualize, I would think about stuff, how I would want to die. Since my cutting years, I have, what do you say? What do you say the word? Like when you don't want to see it or you, you have like, like I can't watching Walk. movies and somebody is, is trying to cut themselves or something like that. I have to cut, I have to close uh, my eyes. You have like a, um, what do you call it? Yeah. I don't know what the word is, but it's a word. Hey, this is a good way to, to tease people. Say the word in your language. I don't know. Oh, you don't know the word in your language? How the fuck no, am I going to know in my language, Ava? <laughs> Sorry, man. All right. So, but, but nonetheless, you, you, you have this massive conflict, children, other things. I, I know I'm asking you to go back like nine years here. Something happens on that day. Uh, there, there's got to be a difference where that day was finally too much. No. I was actually preparing myself for it because I was putting a sleeping pills uh, away and my husband was getting them from his doctor. He, he was getting like the uh, stronger dose for his migrants. So I was, I would take a few at a time and I would put them away. Uh, so I had a stash of these, these pills. I was preparing myself. It wasn't just uh, one day I, I, you know, I woke up and I said, oh, today I'm going to do it. It was just like, I didn't know when, but I was getting ready. I think I also had a postpartum depression because that was after my second daughter was born. I was very depressed. I was very, very depressed. I even asked my husband, I was begging him to take me to a mental 
health specialist because I felt like I'm not in a good place. And what he would tell me, he would say, well, I don't believe in depression. I think it's just mindset. So you need to think happy thoughts. Oh, can we just Um, pause for a second here? Can we just pause for a second here? I guess I do this sometimes, not often to people who are listening, who might ever think that depression is a mindset thing. You're wrong. When you do that, it's really fucking dangerous. So I don't like to tell people what to do, but I'm going to encourage you not to do that. And if you're tempted to do that, shut up, maybe just try one time to just not say anything. Yeah. It's really not a good thing to do. It's really a dangerous thing to do. And it's also a very, I find like rude and condescending thing to say. It's your mindset, Ava. Just pull yourself up, Ava. Everybody else is doing it, Ava. What's the problem, Ava? If something happens externally and you have a funk, I still don't think that's a good thing to say, but at least it makes perhaps a little sense. When someone is clearly down for a very long time, it's just a bizarre thing to say to me. I don't get it. Like, don't you think they're trying? What do you think they're doing? Right, right. And even if you're not trying, you know, it makes sense to stop trying when you have been just like so defeated and feel like shit for so long. It makes sense. Like, all right, maybe I don't want to try so hard. What's the point? I get it anyway. Right. And I was in this whole like he would always tell me it's me who ended up with you. He told me that it's me who ended up with you because it's you. He's like, you're going through these roller coasters. You're like, I think you're bipolar, you know, and it was always me. The problems mm-hmm. that we had, it was always me. Yeah. But I tried. I tried to make our relationship work for years. And then right. I talked, you know, I, I learned how to navigate his anger management issues. Like I would just to make it work. And then there was one time after several years when he literally came to me and he told me because I would br- bring up the the paper issues, the green card issues once in a while. In the first year, it was like every few months, I would say, hey, how how are we on the on this? You know, like, are you moving with the process? Like, I don't want to be always, you know, I don't feel safe. I want to move on with this. And he's like, oh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I still need some paperwork there. It's like, you know, he would always say something that it's on his side, like his birth certificate is not good or whatever, whatever, whatever. So then after several years, I think it was like sixth or seventh year of our marriage, he literally, when I approached him, I was like, and we already talked about divorce and, and I was like, I need the papers to get the divorce. I need to be legally legal here, uh, you know, because I don't want to divorce and have to leave. Because what's going to happen with my kids? He came to me and he said, forget about it. I'm not going to do it. And that was the first time when he like admitted into my face that, that that's it. Like I am not going to get the, I'm not going to get these papers from him. And he also, and then he added, he added something to it. He's like, if you leave me, you will get nothing. And you're going to be on your own. If you stay, you're always going to have roof above your head and food on the table. Go back for a sec, and then we'll fast forward, and then we'll fast forward more. Uh, in 2013, you'd, you had a stash. One night, you took the stash. Yeah. Who found you? 
my husband, I was in bed. He just sat there. I don't really remember the conversation, but I remember me crying and telling him that I just want, I just want out. Like, okay. I don't want to be here. I, I'm scared and I'm done. Like, I'm done fighting with him. I'm done fighting for my life every day. I'm tired. Nothing happened. I got very sick. I was vomiting for three days after that. Yeah, I was in a bad shape. I should probably have gone to a hospital to have my stomach pumped, but... How, how far after that day did you end up getting separated? I got separated in 2018. Five years. Okay. I know there's a lot to that story, but ultimately you were able to get out. Yeah. At some point before 2018 or after you went into the hospital? So that was during my separation year. If you yeah. didn't check yourself in, you thought you were going to kill yourself or try. Yeah, I had, I took both of my kids. I packed my stuff and we left. So I had the kids with me when, when we left and he had a restraining order and the, the divorce was not going well for me on my mm-hmm. side, on my part. Mm-hmm. And he was about to get a custody over the kids. I got in a very bad, again, the default mode, I guess, kicked in. And I just, I couldn't see my girls going back with him without supervision. I started thinking about killing myself and my kids. So that was, that was very scary. That is not something some people would admit to. Yeah, I know. Some people wouldn't, they would think it, they wouldn't admit it even years later. It's pretty brave of you. I think there's people that would hear that and be very judgmental. I know. Fuck them. Fuck them. But it's because you thought their lives would be worse with him. I I was very scared of, about I was very scared of what might happen if they are with him without my supervision. Can I ask more about that or should I stop? Uh, you should probably stop. Yeah, no problem. The other question I have is not about him, it's about you. And, and this might be also a little too personal, but did you come close to doing that? I had a plan. I had two actually plans and I was considering which one would be better. How far away was that? Weeks, months? I was ready. I was mm-hmm. getting very, very close. It developed from a moment when I didn't have these thoughts to the moment when I was like seriously planning it. Mm-hmm. It just fucking, it, it took off. It was like, I don't, I don't even think it was a month or like maybe two weeks. It was so fast that Every day I was moving like forward with it. I was like, first it was just a thought. And I tried to like, like, okay, I can't think about it. That's no, that's really wrong. Like Eva, just fucking stop. And then I just couldn't stop thinking. It was just all, all, or I could think about was like, I'm going to do it. But if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to end doing it just, you know, for myself. They need to go with me. Do you think you'll ever tell them that? I really don't know. That was 2018. Yes. You get separated. Are you divorced? I am on my last probably months of being still married to him. Right now, being being free from that, it just feels like there's like a black or emptiness in my life. Like there's black, something like there's there was a life I had before him. Then there was the life I had with him, which is like, always really bad that I sort of want to forget. And then now is the life after him, which is full of potential. 
actually happiness. <gasps> what? <gasps> oh my God. No, stop it. No one talks about that. Is it podcast. is it a forbidden word in this <laughs> podcast? Happiness? No it's, no, it's totally not forbidden. It just kind of doesn't come up that often. Real quick question about your hospitalization, and then we'll go on to your present life, if that's okay. You did go to the hospital. You knew you were in trouble. How long did you stay in that hospital that last time? And did it help? They put me in a hospital for a week. Yeah. But because I fought it, I didn't want to be there a whole week. Like my kids were, they didn't, they only, my friend was, was taking care of them. So I was like, I can't stay here for a whole week. I need to go home. And they didn't want to let me go. But anyway, they did at the end. So I was there four days. I'm assuming it didn't do anything. They released me and I started going to a therapy. I think it was very successful. My life Good. changed. Yeah. All right. So if that was the spark, then I take it back for sure. Yeah. Cool. I got a really good therapist. He was able to get to me, you know, yeah. like I think he had enough patience because for like first, I think month or two months, I was not saying anything. I was not doing it. I was, and he just, at some point he approached me and he said, Eva, why are you even here? Yeah. Why, why are you coming? What are we doing? Like, what do you want? He was straightforward enough, but he was also patient enough. All right. He was curious enough. And I think it, uh, the therapy took off and it was a spark, like you said, to, um, to healing. Did you get a diagnosis that you agree with? Well, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And then you, do you agree with that? I don't really know. I seriously don't know. Sometimes I, I really feel like I might be bipolar, but... Then your ex-husband might have been right. Son he, of a gun. Yeah, right. I think he was he, saying that in the way people use the word bipolar incorrectly. Like, I don't think he knows much about mental health. He just saw up and down and said, you're bipolar. Right. Done. Right. Do you talk to your ex-husband ever? Oh, yeah, we, we do. We see each other right now every week because he has visitations with, my, with, the, with the kids. And I'm, I'm the one who pretty much supervises the visitations. How many people do you have other than your therapist to talk to? Three okay. or four. Do you still drink or drug? I don't drink at all. I think my body took care of it itself. I can't drink. I get very, very sick. That's a sign. Do I do drugs uh, recreationally every three months or so. I don't know. It's, you know, not a big, big deal for me. I'm, I'm done with that shit. I'm done. Did you ever write a note, a suicide note, a goodbye note? Suicide note. I think I did when I was younger, the first time I think I tried. And I think I wrote a note to my husband when I tried. Are there a lot of people that know about the fact that you've tried to end your life? Not really. I might have mentioned it in some like, discussions here and there but i never went into any details like it was just sort of very general you know statement why did you look for a podcast with the word suicide in it these days i am in the process of uh, opening a nonprofit private school I'm also trying to become, because I have a goal or a dream to become a body image life coach for teens and moms. I can't Um, be your client then is what you're saying. You can't be. No, sorry. 
So there's a lot of like this, these issues I dealt with. Now I'm sort of going back to them, trying to learn about them from a perspective of, you know, of an outsider, like learn what other people are struggling with. The more I can learn, the better I can probably help them. Sure. So you're learning, you found the podcast, but the, I don't know if I asked you this. Talk about things that people don't really understand. Like I felt for so many years, I felt so lonely and so misunderstood and Mm -hmm. what people would think if I only tell them that I wanted to die. I felt like maybe if people can hear that other people from their circle are struggling with it, it will be easier for them to reach out for help or speak up about it, you know, instead of hiding it like I did. I was hiding it for so many years, Mm. only to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper instead of maybe just speak up. So I feel like if there's more people speaking about it and making it more like, hey, we all feel this way sometimes, or like, it's okay to reach out for help. I mean, it might help, you know, I'm not saying it will help, but it might. I don't think we all feel this way sometimes though. Yeah, you're right, probably. No, I'm just saying. Many of, many of People don't want to kill themselves someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think though that I understand why, and this might not apply to you earlier in your life, but I get why people don't talk about it. There are very valid reasons. In your case, you didn't have an environment where it was safe to talk about it. So of course you don't talk about it. Right. So for me, the real goal for just for me, I'm not saying what you should do. And of course is create a space where people can feel comfortable talking about it. Exactly. Because other, what... otherwise, like, I don't know if their, their lives allow them to talk about it. There might be some real backlash or shaming or forced hospitalization or who the fuck knows what. Exactly. And I Crazy. feel like if I talk about it with you and then I will share it. Some people from my circles might hear it and they will be like, okay, she fucking knows what she's talking about. Like I, I maybe might be able to reach to her or talk to her if I feel that way. So if I can help one person who feels this way, who's alone and, and scared and doesn't know what to do, if I can be of help, I will be very, very happy. We didn't even talk about the fact that you're an accomplished photographer. That's my therapy, man. Photography has always been with me since I was 16 and I, I had depression and everything. Photography was my outlet always. Yeah. Um, and it just became my career, I guess. Do you still ideate? I had some, some bad moments this year at the beginning of, of this year and I developed chronic headaches after COVID in January. Mm. And I literally have headaches right now, 24 hours, seven days a week. You have one right now? I do have one right now. I'm on a lot of medications and I'm trying to just find out what the fuck is wrong with me and how I can resolve this. But before it was like March, April, when My doctor was not doing anything. They were telling me I'm fine. I just have a chronic pain and I have to live with it. The pain was so awful. I was not able to do my my job. Like I would cancel sessions. I would just, it's like unbearable. I had a moment when I was like, I can't do it anymore. Like I wasn't thinking about really killing myself. I didn't have a plan. Like, but I, 
I felt falling down that hole. You know, I felt that I am going there and it felt very, very dark and lonely mm. again. But I'm out. You are? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of tired. I'm sick of this pain and being in pain. I'm trying to find a solution, but I feel like I'm going fucking crazy sometimes. I can't imagine people with, like there are people living with chronic pain and I'm being six months. And so if it was a year ago and I said, I've been in chronic pain for six months, like I said earlier, you would like try to imagine what that's like, but you have no idea. You've gone through right. it. It's a totally different experience. Right. Totally. But that's for everybody with all things mental health wise or physical health wise. You just don't know. Right. You don't know. But it's mindset, man. Just think positive <laughs> thoughts. The problem with that theory is that there is a little kernel of truth to it. If it was absolutely never true at all, we'd be, we would, it would just, it would have disappeared. There's just enough truth that, yeah, of course your mind has a little, there's some truth. And so because of that, you can't totally dismiss it. And people use that for all sorts of manipulative purposes or reasons, all sorts of ways to use that nefariously. Right. Of course. I mean, you know, like when they say when you when you're depressed, you know, there's a, there are ways to go with it. You can go deeper with the depression or you can do a certain like in my therapy. I learned, you know, to sort of address that feeling instead of going going that route and being depressed for for six months. Sure. My issue isn't just that somebody says something like that. My issue is that's the only thing they say. That's the only thing they offer. If someone spends an hour with me and we're talking and that comes up, that's one thing. But if essentially the only thing you're offering me is it's, well, it's your mindset. Fuck off. Right. Right. Thank you for giving me 11 seconds of your absurd wisdom. Uh, Do you think you'll try again? As of today? No, I feel like. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I feel like I'm not, I still have these dark moments. The place where this darkness and loneliness is, is still within me. Then if something, something happens in my life that will trigger it, I might consider it. But as of right now, for me, it was always my kids were the, the anchor for me to be here. As long as my kids are, I don't know, needing me and my help, I'm going to try to to do all I can to be here for them. All right. Let's reveal where you're from. I'm from Poland. She's from Poland, people. Eva's from Poland. <laughs> yep. You going to go back? Well, I can't. I still can't because I'm still waiting for my green card for the whole process. The whole process is not yet finished. So I'm waiting. Um, So I can't leave the country. Actually, my dream is to retire in in nice in a nice Polish Polish village. Leave California. Yeah, Poland is beautiful. It's really beautiful. I don't miss the people there that much, especially you know, because our culture is so rooted in, in the religion. Although not, I think not anymore because, you know, my generation now is older and they are sort of, the, they have the, the same mindset as me. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of people that are very backwards, very judgmental. Maybe in 20 years, I don't know. Okay. I wouldn't mind to have a house there and just sort of escape. I didn't ask one question 
Are there any myths and, or, I don't know if I can tie these two together. Do you have, I don't usually use the word advice, but for people that are listening and I don't know who they are and I don't know what they're going through, words for them. Do ayahuasca. We okay. should all do more psychedelics, man. The humanity would be, you would be healed and happier and less judgmental. Mm-hmm. Seriously. You heard it. You know, ever, ever, ever for president. Let's um, not get carried away. Oh, come on. I, I have big dreams. Your platform is ayahuasca? <laughs> yeah. I think it's a great idea. You're not going to win, but I think it's go for it. <laughs> you, you, you probably know that you have to be very wealthy to win. Very. Okay. So that means you have to raise a lot of money. You can't okay. do it without money. That's the world. That's the culture. That's, that's how it is. Well, that's the, that's the myth. It's mindset. I know it's my mindset. I can't say what my advice would be. For me, going backwards, I would for myself, if I was like, what advice I can give myself, that would be seek, seek help way faster. Be more open about your problems. Right. Yeah, because I feel like I've been, I went through what I went because I was so afraid to ask for help. Advice to the younger self. That's an interesting question. Time is weird, right? If you went back, then you wouldn't have known what you know now, but we're exactly. making it sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying if we can boil down everything we've talked about, you're basically saying get help, do ayahuasca. I'm simplifying it a little bit. Yeah, pretty much. Which, you know, help is ayahuasca. So Oh wow. So we boiled it down to one idea. <laughs> Again. Always. Let's keep things simple. Well, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you being so flexible and awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Eva. Talk to you soon. Have a good day. You too, man. All right. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Eva out in California. Thank you, Eva. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And if you check the show notes, there is a link where you can leave us a recorded message, as well as a couple links if you'd like to help us out with a financial contribution. That could be one time or ongoing. However you are involved, we appreciate it. And I should add, there is also a link for a couple of upcoming storytelling events. One is specifically related to suicide. The other is an open mic around mental health. So that might be something that interests you as well. And that is all for episode number 123. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.